Hello and welcome to the latest episode of You Should Have Been Here Last Week, the podcast that is presented by myself, Steve Gribbin, and my fellow comedian, Paul Ricketts. Hello. There he is. Hello. Uh, and in this podcast, we interview some of the movers and shakers, the people behind the scenes, the um, the move, you know, the wave makers, as they say, of the UK comedy circuit or comedy scene. I don't know which to say really. Comedy scene. Industry. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the great <laughs> ships of industry. Yes. Aye. It, it were all puns around here when I were allowed. <laughs> Um, and this week's guest uh, is, um, well, fantastic guest, uh, a brilliant stand-up comedian, a writer uh, for lots of other comedians as well, uh, broadcaster and um, star of stage screen and uh, everywhere Radio. else. Radio, indeed, yes. Uh, but this week he's appearing as the author of a brilliant book called Finding Your Comic Genius. It is the wonderful Mr Adam Bloom. Yes, our guest today is Adam Bloom, uh, esteemed comedian. But we're going to be mainly talking about your book, uh, which has come out to much fanfare, and it is well, Finding Your Comic Genius. So uh, yes. I'm going to ask the, the most obvious question. What made you write it? Well, um, my, my dad and stepmother both died within five months of each other in 2022. So it was a, it was a horrible year. Um, nothing, nothing prepares you for losing your dad, right? And um, then New Year's Day the next year, I went, I'm going to turn things around. So I gave up drinking. Admittedly, it lasted seven weeks, but that seven weeks was enough to get, you know, a lot of words down. Uh, my friend Aidy Lloyd, who's a magician, um, used to say to me, you're a walking book. And my excuse was, I think we make excuses for things we are scared of doing. So I said, oh, there's not a market for it. Well, globally, Amazon has a lot of comedians my idea was to write an advance but not one on how to do it because mm. it seems to be all the other books how to do it no one's written a book on how to do it better so there was a gap in the market and once i started and uh, i just couldn't stop couldn't stop i mean i, mm. I most days i didn't get out of bed for two hours because i opened my eyes and carried on writing from where i left off and it's such a rewarding thing like you know i worked out if i if i broke even i'd still be happy because it was eight months of joy you know, life of enjoyment, isn't it? You can work really hard and not enjoy something and become rich at the end and you realise you're, you know, half you give me half your life to become rich and not enjoy the journey, right? So, mm, you know, yeah. it's the journey. We all know it's the journey. You know, it's, you know, if you have a laugh and a car journey to a gig, you do the gig, you drive back, you didn't make much money, but you had a really nice day. You know, it's not all about how much money you make. It's about enjoying your life, of course. And there are very rich people who don't like their lives. And I feel sorry for them because what's the point of money if you're not enjoying spending it right mm -hmm. I mean, it certainly comes across in the book uh that you you know because you that's the story you tell about the um the misdirected joke you know when you were told when you were a child this the first uh joke that it was it your dad told you um, yeah i remember i remember it vividly and and the, the the thing that really stuck me was i screamed with laughter at the first actual joke i'd heard it to me it was just a story and then he, my dad went that's called the punchline and I was like, wow, ah. you can hit someone in the face with words. <laughs> you know, words are powerful things, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, and he comes across, I mean, your absolute love for the form of comedy is is just woven throughout the whole book. Not only is it, you know, it's interesting on a technical level, but, you you know, you obviously, I love that bit where you say, and, and it happens to me 
sometimes as well, where you stood at the back of a room and you're watching someone who's at the top of the game and you forget that you're a comedian and suddenly you're wonderful. like, just a fan, just a it's fan. Wonderful. I, I saw Harry Hill do two hours uh, this time last year and I didn't analyse a single word of it. I just was lost yeah. in the magic yeah. Yeah, um, and he's the reason I became a comedian. So that was very special to me. But yeah, you know, look, we, we, look, you know, if the three of us watch each other, we'd spot something and go, oh, "I see that trick." Um, and there's nothing wrong with using good tricks. Nothing wrong with using good tricks. But you know, the the real objective of of uh, for me is to come up with something original. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the same feeling from watching. You know, Rich Hall is one of my oh. favorites, and I just oh. I just forget that I'm watching him. Uh, I'm, you know, I mean, I mentioned him probably more times than anyone. Second time I saw him, I went to say, I, I, I was on a bill with him. Then I went to watch him on my night off and he did this joke. And I, and I, I just, my brain was overloaded. I was like, this guy's amazing, but he was overloading my brain. And this thing, you know, you have these laborious setups with a half laugh and then more information than a half laugh. It's like, there's a reason why some comedians are better than others because they're cramming detail in mm. all the way through. Yeah. So there's, there's two questions based on the title of your book. Uh, one is, does everyone have a comic genius that they can even find? Well, I, when I say finding a comic genius, it's a hypothesis. What I'm saying is, if you have genius within you, you might not have the writing or performance techniques to bring it out. Yeah. So the reason I wrote the ritual joke in a, in a different order was to show how it would just be an okay idea if the information was in a different order. So you've got this idea and you present it. I was writing with someone the other day and they had this absolutely beautiful situation with their son. And I didn't laugh at the, the, the when I read their version. And I juggled it around and then they said it again, just with a little tweak here and there, different word on the punchline. And I turned around to them and I said, you know, this is a, a beautiful idea. And I said, all I've done is I've tightened a few nuts. It's all mm. I've done. Mm. Yeah. And I said, this is your, this is still your idea. I've just said that word there is wrong. And that's all it takes, like a mechanic, just, you know, just change a little thing, change the oil, and everything's yeah. working. I mean, you, you do cover that in the book as well, that um, that you yourself have enjoyed people coming up to you and saying, um, have you ever thought of doing this? Or Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I love to I, – I actually like doing that to other people as well. If you can see – if you can help somebody by just making a little suggestion. I mean, it has to be said that some people are more receptive to it than others. You know, sometimes you get the very ungracious, you know. It's basically – I mean, if, someone's, if someone means well – um, I mean, what I do is I say, how long have you been doing that joke for? And if they go four years, I go, it's really good. And I leave it there. But if it's newish, I'll go, um, I was just thinking, have you thought of saying this? Because if it's been going for four years, it's successful. The chance are you don't want to change it. It's like, you know, yeah. it's, I, it, it shouldn't be set in stone. No joke should be set in stone. But it's harder to change something that you know and love for years. It's like putting a yeah. tattoo on your kid. Like, why don't you just yeah. tattoo my kid? Well, oh, you look better with a mole. You know, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> but, but the early stages of... <laughs> but the early stages of a line, we all know it can go through evolutionary stages. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, when someone gives you a line, the hard part is, D 
deluding yourself that they didn't give it to you every time you perform it. You've got to still pretend it's yours. <laughs> then a massive laugh. You know, I am a genius. You know, you're not. I'll Spain. <laughs> but isn't it... Um, and I find that interesting about, you know, saying that um, there, there are things that you can do to a joke to improve it, obviously. But do you ever get those times, uh, and it's happened to all comedians, I think, where you've got a joke which you think, oh, this is a great joke. And then after about 10 times of doing it, it just it just doesn't work. And then you have to put your arm around it and take it out the back and just, you know, push it away. And sometimes that does happen, doesn't it? It's the strangest thing. No one has got an understanding of comedy enough to know why that happens. I mean, there's, there's, there, I had a joke about meeting God and talking about poo and why, why did he create poo? And, and the punchline, the first four times I did it, the room exploded in, as one did that piss himself laughing, I was going, I've never had a punchline that in a like litmus paper just went boom. And it wasn't just a big laugh. It was that like, and I was like, I've done something here first three times, then it stopped getting that. And now it's hit and miss. So now I've got a disclaimer at the end of the joke uh, to get a laugh. If that joke doesn't work, it's like three times, four times in a row. When I first did it, I had this magic wand that could just go fall about laughing and something in the timing, the expression in my eye, something went. And it was like a late, you know, um, Carol King song, something inside has died. And <laughs> You're saying to the joke, look, I'm sorry, mate, you're going to have to go on the bench, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. Nobody, nobody likes doing that. Steve Bennett um, reviewed it and he gave it four stars, which is fine because, you know, he's, that's, you know, he could have given it three, two at once, so I'm grateful. But he said that the, um, some jokes, you know, you don't want to mess with the alch- alchemy of it. And I'm like, yeah, but if you change it, it doesn't work. You just go back again. Yeah, I'm not yeah. asking you to change your material forever. No. Try it differently. You know, most most jokes could do with one word here or there or a syllable. Or, you know, sometimes jokes don't land on the nicest sound. And you're like, just, just say bus stop instead of bus garage. You know, the boom. You know, something. Um, yeah. you, know, we all, yeah. you know, I, I say most of my stuff goes through three or four stages of evolution before I decide it's, it's, it's as good as it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, I love that thing you've got about words, you know, words for their own sake as well, the sound of certain words. And not even, you, you talk about not even having them on the punchline, but using them in your set that, that have, you know, a beautiful sound. Yeah, it's beautiful. I grew up on Dr. Zeus books. I was um, talking to a girl about a year ago and um, I misunderstood something. It was a voice message. She said, no, it wasn't that, you silly baboon. And it just <laughs> <laughs> lovely, isn't it? That's a baboon. great insult, yeah. You silly baboon. But if it was you ignorant baboon, the, yeah. the word silly sets up that you silly baboon. It's lovely. <laughs> baboon. Just lovely uh, sound, you know. I, I mean, I give an example of Mitch Hedberg's show. You know, I, I used to do drugs. I still do drugs, but I used to too. Yeah. You know, what lovely sounds. What A punch sign that ends in too. Yeah, because you you did the version with I used to as well, and it just yeah, doesn't, do, doesn't work. Does it doesn't it? sing, does it? It doesn't sing. Same yeah, idea. Same yeah. idea. I used to do drugs. I still do drugs, but I used to as well. Gone. And the reason <laughs> we know how bad that is is because we've seen the better version. But if you yeah. saw a comedian say I used to do drugs, I still do drugs, but I used to as well. You go, that's a really good joke. Playing on the yeah. fact used to doesn't necessarily mean you don't do it anymore. Used to in our vernacular means in in our language means I don't do it anymore. But he's challenged that, hasn't he? And gone, no, no, no. I used to do drugs. I still do drugs, but I used to do, right? 
So we, if we'd only ever heard the, the, the weaker version, we go, that's a nice joke. But because yeah. we don't know how much better it's capable of being. And that's what the book's about. It's about yeah. the detail. It's, and it's about drawing. But the thing is, it was aimed at um, comedians, as in semi-professional and professional comedians. But I always wrote it acknowledging that you might not have been on stage or you might be very new. I'm talking yeah. to you, one person all the way through. If you haven't been on stage yet, don't put so much pressure on yourself for this. But my philosophy was that Just 17 magazine is aimed at 14-year-old girls. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, if I write an advanced book, first of all, comedians are intelligent people. If you're not, gonna, if you're not intelligent as a comedian, it's unlikely you're going to end up becoming a, a good comedian. So, it's, you know, it's about – you know, they're, they're a bright bunch. So, my, therefore, if you're writing a book for bright people and it's advanced – most people who are new are going to go, well, I'm clever, I can read that, and then they buy it. And the reviews and the feedback is that they all got it. Mm. So I, I gave them credit for intelligence. Yeah. Uh, you, there's a great bit, by the way, that you do say, you're talking about heckling and uh, tough crowds, and you do say, um, if you haven't been on stage yet, don't let this put you off, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a really lovely thing to do because pe some people reading that might be starting to go, oh, my God, no. I love ah. that analogy that you said about um, what, that comedians uh, think that 60% of heckles are malevolent. Whereas you say it's the other way around. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I've seen American comedians crumble over here because in the states you generally only get heckled when someone thinks you're you suck, you know. Um, and I said to an American comedian, I said, over here they'll heckle you to see how you deal with it. They're chucking you a ball. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, yeah. people join. And, you know, I've I've seen someone go. You know, I'll do the jokes. You know, or you know, and and it's like, why can't they do the jokes too? <laughs> I mean, you hit the nail on the head because if you're going out, and I've seen it happen so many times, if you meet uh, the heckle with aggression, then you're going to get more aggression back. But if yeah. you turn it back and don't be – I mean, it's it's easy to say and hard to do because sometimes heckles can be annoying. But it's, it's that thing of not thinking that the whole audience is out to get you. I, I certainly think that's changed. I think audiences now are a bit more – there's not so much aggression in the heckling. So when when I first started, it was horrible. Well, my first gig, my first gig, the other openers got got booed off at my first gig. <laughs> oh my god! I think things are getting a bit worse again. I don't think. Uh, I think since the pandemic, there is a lot more aggression in the room, and I also think that uh, everyone's been watching these reels of um, comics uh, interacting with the audience. Oh uh, right. And the audience is now starting to think, wait a minute, this is what comedy is. Good point. Yeah. I think you both right. Steve's saying back in the early 90s, or you started in the late 80s, right? I started in the mid-80s, actually. I got the I worst heckle, pre-heckled, the, the lift going up to the old comedy store. Uh, you had to go in the lift with the strippers and the comedians and the audience. And someone leant over to me and they said, hey, mate, are you on tonight? And I went, yeah. And he goes, I bet you're fucking shit. <laughs> I mean, oh I, I, it's only the third time I'd ever been on stage. I just went, ooh. What, it was the, what are the chances of a psychic being in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> Very true, because if you get gogged off. Uh, maybe Paul is right. There is a bit more aggression around with uh, unruliness, seems to be a bit of a thing, doesn't it? And the audience is not knowing how to behave. But um... Generic heckle put downs were bigger in, when I started. You know, I remember someone who shall remain nameless. 
turning up at the gig going, what heckles, what heckle but downs have been used so far tonight? <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you learn to whisper uh, in a helicopter? I had a brilliant one, and I can't remember his name. The American guy used to play the tunnel all the time. And he said, instead of going, someone was screaming, and goes, where did you learn to whisper in an abattoir? Which was a lovely twist, like dark twist, and got a huge laugh because everyone thought he was going to say, you know, in a helicopter. Well, but no, so, wait a minute. You're assuming the whole audience knew the line. I think that, yeah. But well, the reaction it got was, was huge. Like uh, Steve, I'm guessing the audience laughed because they had never heard it before and thought that Abattoir was funny. Yeah, maybe. A, a whole audience <laughs> don't know. <laughs> How many people do you really think know the way to learn to Steve, they're not Hundreds. all comedians. <laughs> yeah. And people okay, are still okay. doing it. People <laughs> that, are still using favorite. that line. When the flight of the Concords started bubbling yeah. under getting a bit of a cult following... Yeah, they got used on an advert for Orange Phone or whatever. Just the two, you know, they'd seen them live, like the chemistry. Yeah. And they, the comedian said to me, "Yeah, I think Orange um, overestimated their fame when they got that." But I went, "No, you overestimated their fame. Orange just thought those two unknown comedians would look good on our mainstream advert." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're but, right. Yeah, um, yeah. So get out your bubble, Steve. Your little hobby. <laughs> <bubble. laughs> Probably think you're famous, don't you, Steve? You think you're a household name? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, I came up uh, since I was shit, so I must be well known. <laughs> yeah, I must be well known. Um, I wanted to talk though about uh, the persona thing, because I think that's really interesting. About um, it, you put the deliberately style and persona as well, and uh, including status, like a three chapters close together, don't you? Yes. And to me, that that's endlessly fascinating. Because do you think you you've got a thing in the book where you say that audiences are you know that whole thing about they're like a common mind they're work in, and they make an instantaneous uh, judgment about you as soon as you walk on stage um is that so what you're saying is it, you know you can consciously try and choose your persona do you think that sometimes in, when you go on stage and they've already they look at you and they make their minds up anyway they can't completely make their mind up so you can walk on stage looking a little bit sleazy or a little yeah. bit you know whatever like a smarmy like a state agent when you walk on um, but if you open your mouth and you say something really um, poignant and caring, they'll go, oh, that bloke looks like an estate agent is actually caring. So, no, I think, right. you know, also it's your responsibility. You know, if you if you think you might look a bit smarmy, then make sure you don't dress smarmy to, to fight any stereotypes that they might have about you. Mm. You know, my mum said to me, I used to wear all black. But can I just say, when I, Steve, Paul, Steve's one of the people I looked up to when I started. So it's very, it feels wrong hearing you saying to me this about your book because you know i learned from you so this there's a kind of oh, that's very nice it, it, it no, i'm at manchester the, um the, the what's called the buzz club um oh, um yeah. david haddingham but the, so the point is that it's weird for me hearing you kind of you know because i i you know I, i've learned from watching you so it doesn't feel right you turn your book to this and that but the fact of the matter is you've enjoyed the book and i appreciate that but i really the, have and also the thing is that the, the techniques that you've got in the book about trimming and stuff that they're really useful things to do you know i actually did take stuff that you did and on uh, the other day i was just applying it to some new, new material that was oh, that's writing, great. as that's in going because the thing about chopping stuff is, is really important because uh, you mentioned about Twitter and it, it was revolution in the sense that you had to fit it into 140 characters. And it did, it had a good effect, I think, on a lot of people's writing. Yes, I didn't like it when they doubled it. I like the challenge of having to, because also, like, if you can find a word on Twitter that has one syllable that means the same thing as a word that's got two or three, you've saved six characters. Now, 
To do that on stage, that would be obsessive. Right? I want to trim this joke by what two syllables. But what a good exercise if you're going to do that through two sentences, three sentences, or again and again and again through a show. You know, um, it adds up. I'm not saying that I do obsessively try and trim a syllable off a joke, but it's certainly worth having that on your consciousness to, to think like tweets and go, what's the what's the fewest word? I was watching Julian Dean the other day, you know, and, and he just like, uh, it was so succinct. Status, um, persona, you know, um, when someone goes on stage and, and they're cruel, and they've made it very clear from the beginning that they are nasty to people who've done nothing wrong, Mm. that sets that up very quickly that you have no empathy. You know, you then try and tell a story about your wife giving birth and and you being loving the child. You know, with Jimmy Carr did that, we'd be waiting for him to drop the baby on the floor, wouldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Exactly. Um, the other thing about you mentioned about callbacks as well. I've got to tell you this story. You know, said about always be uh, remembering to do the callbacks, and sometimes it can end in disaster. I once heard a great story about Terry Alderson where he said um, he's going to go on in the middle. It was in South End in the theatre, and he said, "I'm going to go on, and I'm say, I'm going to say, um, I hate blacks, and then I'm going to leave a pause, and I go, they make shit uh, camping equipment, right? Which is, a, you know, it's a joke. No. Anyway, he came on, he went, I hate blacks, and he forgot to say the second bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he came off in the dressing room, he was going, yeah, that was great. So it went a bit funny about the 23rd minute and everyone in the dressing room was just going, you forgot to say camping equipment. And then he was like, oh, Jesus He just Christ. did the setup. Yeah. So everyone thought he was a massive racist. How can you... For no reason at all. Well, yes, I don't how... know. I don't know. <laughs> you know... I love things you like know, that. You know, Neil, Neil Hamburger... My, yeah. I mentioned my favourite comedian. He's yeah. all about creating tension. You know, he walks on with a drink under his arm. It looks like he might drop it. And and I loved a gig he did. He walked on stage. The music played. He walked on slowly. So we got time to got to the microphone. The audience had stopped clapping. So that's all really awkward. And he went <coughs> <coughs> and he blacks in. <laughs> first of all, you know, blacks as a, as a and as a noun is already wrong, isn't it? It's a, you know, black people, you know, blacks, you know, it's, 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 it's very dated, but, and then he went, how about Mexicans? And he went through all the races that were nationalities, right? So then he did a really corny punchline. It was a deliberate dad's joke. But my point is that him saying any blacks as an opening line is the ultimate tension creator. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this is, Paul, have you seen him? He's a character comedian. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. I just want to make this clear. This is not me condoning someone calling Black Bill Black. It's a character. <laughs> yes, it's a character act. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I did a, I don't know if you know my story about the two black kids from Devon in the front row of my gig, but no, I did a, a corporate once and I died. They couldn't hear me. The sound was awful. And I know they couldn't hear me because I couldn't hear the person introducing me. And, um, uh, they, they they complained to the agent. They said he did, a, he opened with some extremely inappropriate material about blacks. And I thought, wow, you're calling the black people blacks and I'm the one being judged. <laughs> but what I did, I recorded um, four out of five shows at the Comedy Store the next weekend and edited the, the best reaction and sent it to the age. I go, this is the routine where the audience can hear me. Nothing's racist. In fact, I get outwitted by the black teenager and I lose. And if they could have heard me, this is what they'd have heard. But, it, you know, it's pretty dangerous calling a comedian racist to an agent because that's potentially you stop. Stopping you feeding your children yeah. with a, with a slanderous comment that's not true. 
Right, you do, right? You do talk yeah. in the in the book about uh, word bingo, don't you, as well? As in words that comedians know that can create a lot of tension on stage. Yeah, that's I not mean, my phrase. I, in the glossary, yeah, I, I put I know that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you, if you, you know, you, I mean, it, we're living in such sensitive times now that if you said, you know, I was walking down the street, this bloke in a wheelchair was in my way, the audience have already decided you, that you're not woke. It's like, well, hang on a minute. And I did this, and then this happened, then this happened. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, you yeah. know, so I try and put my my word bingos on punchline so it's too late. They've been hit in the face. It's over. The joke's <laughs> over. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like that thing, you know, that obviously the King Charles thing at the moment. You've got to – I mean, I made the mistake uh, saying, you know, he's got cancer. And as soon as you say that word, they don't, they're not – thinking about and it's the complete just like a bomb isn't it like bang so yeah, yeah, now yeah. just say his illness his illness and it's a lot better because they are oh you know yeah that's the, yeah, like covid you know i'd say during the pandemic is much nicer than saying covid I mean, especially sorry one when covid was in its peak mm. i think that's a very dangerous word to say on stage because people have just come out for the first time in months. And then you go, yeah, yeah think about COVID. You're like, clang, 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 clang. You know, I had a lineup um, after the pandemic. I said, I had a good feeling about this gig tonight because I walked out the train station and I saw one P on the floor. And I remember that thing, see a penny, pick it up, and all the day you'll have COVID. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. All right. But it's, one time. it's the last word. Yeah. It's the last word. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. over. The joke's over. Oh God! Don't bring up COVID because it's too yeah. late. It's you know, yeah. it's, that, it's that moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Paul, did you you had a question to ask, didn't you, before? Yes, it was the second part. It was um, of the title: um, Is comedy an art form? Because certain people would say that it isn't. Um, Ed Byrne and I started out at the same time, and he said that he doesn't think it's an art; he thinks it's a craft. Yeah, hmm. but the thing is, craft is what you use to apply your art. You know, when Picasso does a painting. He's those brushstroke moments. That's craft. The message he's eventually getting across is art. But you have to apply craft to art. To play the guitar, you have to learn the chords and you have to stretch your fingers like Steve does all the time, right? You're doing all that. Yeah. That that is an art. What, what the final sound is art. But you have to be able to wiggle your fingers around to get the art across. So to me, craft is what you use to create art. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you said in the book as well that no matter what you uh, portray yourself uh, on stage as, you are still, uh, it's like that people say, oh, you, you're yourself on stage. No, you're a version of yourself. You're yeah. doing a comedian. You're being a comedian. You know, because otherwise you just go on stage and, and just, you know, it just wouldn't be funny or whatever, you know. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. When you say you see what I'm saying, that started with you quoting me, then you've asked me if I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah well you know it's, it's one of those days first of all you highlight the parts of yourself that are funny so my intensity yeah. my enthusiasm you know um so i'm i keep that on i keep that on you're putting magnifying glass over your quirks i'd say but the but the other thing is that um if you're having a bad day and you still turn it on then you're an actor playing the part of yourself when you're in the mood that you want people to see you in yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. Because sometimes we don't, you know, you, you you talk about that in the book as well, where sometimes you can see in people's eyes that, uh, you know, they're a bit dead behind the eyes. But we've all been, we've all not felt it, but still gone on to, it's part of doing what we do, isn't it? Well, I, I've come off stage and, and I might have gone, I didn't enjoy that gig. And someone said, you would never have known. 
And it's amazing to go inside. A part of me is going, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel liked. I'm, I'm going through the motions a bit. I'm not really feeling this. And then we're good actors. I acted like I was enjoying it. But, you know, everyone yeah. acts. You know, when you say, hello, can I take your order, please? And you smile. You might be thinking, I, I hate my job and I want to leave it and I'm going to walk out in a minute. But you, you put on a smile. You know, everyone's acting throughout their lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. In social situations, except even with your family, yes. et cetera, you're, you're acting. Yes. You? Um, Paul, have you, what, what did you want to ask? You, uh, there was another question you wanted to ask as well, wasn't there? I guess it's about the title. Uh, no, it's not, I've done the title. It took me 20 minutes, but I've done the title. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the other thing I was going to ask is because, obviously, this is going to lead on to comedy courses. No, I do master classes, which is different. Master I class. sit around a yeah. table. This was not my idea. Um, mm. I sit around a table. Do you know Sal Malello in um, Bath? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, we know Sal. Yeah, yeah. He's he, lovely guy. He said to me, do you want to come and do a masterclass in Bath? Yeah, and he came up with the idea. Then someone in Utrecht came up with the same idea. I said, look, Sal, someone in Utrecht wants to do it. You know, you're okay with that? Went, yeah, of course. I, I don't own a masterclass. But then someone in Leicester wanted to do one. I said, "Was that is that far enough away from you for you to feel that? So he said, yeah. Then someone in Cardiff wanted to do one. Um, now I'm doing a couple in Finland. So, but the, but I, I wouldn't do one in the in the in the West Country because that would be Sal's territory. But I I wouldn't teach a comedy course. What I like is if you read a hundred thousand words of mine and absorb them, then you sit around a table for six hours plus a lunch break, six solid hours in total, asking questions. You know, my, I'm a close up magician. My favorite magician is a guy called Brother Hammond. I'd pay a fortune to be able to pick his brains. Not everything can get across in a book. You're going to have questions. I, I, that's why during the book I say. Um, you might be thinking, because I, about 25 times I see you might be thinking, because I'm trying to second-guess myself. Because when a book says this, 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 you go, yeah, but what if that? Well, what if that? And the, the, the book can't answer back. So a masterclass is great because it lets you ask any unanswered questions, and of course there will be that. I mean, the main chapters that come up are persona and boom mic moments. You remember boom mic moment, my metaphor, when it boom mic appears in a film? Yeah, I mean, that yeah. those are, I mean... Lots of very, very new comedians do that all the time. You de- you say a very funny thing in, in the book, and, and Paul and I have talked about this before, is when an act is quoting his very funny dad at length throughout his act, and you think to yourself, well, why did I pay money to see your dad? I mean, lots of newer acts have got very, very funny mates, haven't they? I did a line once, um, and Scott Capuro and Lewis Schaefer fell about laughing and because they fell about laughing the audience went with it because they it was a small gig and they're okay they found it funny we'll go with it but it i did it at top secret at new material night and it got silence and i was struggling so badly afterwards that i did all old material to save myself because the whole audience of young people went i can't believe you said that i said <laughs> i said you know everyone's got some kind of slightly racist grandmother no 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 you know everyone's got like a grandmother who says slightly racist things. Well, that's nothing compared to what I'm about to say. That's the that intro? No, no, no. No, 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 but there's no joke. There, there is no joke. It's taking the piss out of comedy. Yeah. You know people say I've got this racist uncle, this homophobic cousin, and yeah, then they yeah. do the line that grandmother said, so they've covered it. Yeah. I'm not saying it, they said it. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Tom Rhodes, you think about his, his, I got this, friend who's homophobic but occasionally what he says is funny i said there's gonna be the gay olympics and he went, what are you gonna do to eat the donut off, donut off the dick competition right but he's done you know I, I didn't say this my friend who i don't agree with says it but then says it right yeah and yeah. Tom's, yeah tom's a great comedian but he's 
he's basically gone, I'm not going to say this homophobic comment, but my friend did, and I'm going to share it with you, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, he did say, and it's occasionally funny. So he is admitting that he liked it, but he's still saying, I wouldn't say that. He said it, right? So yeah. I went, you know, you know, my grandmother, you know, everyone's got a grandmother that occasionally says slightly racist things. Well, that's nothing compared to what I'm about to say, right? There, there is no joke that follows that. It was just me taking the piss out of comedy because I'm going, yeah, yeah. I'm, say I'm racist, but I'm worse. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm flipping so, it. I'm flipping it, basically. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 200 young Norwegians in central London did not go with that. <laughs> Well, you shouldn't trust anything that uh, Louis Schaefer laughs at. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've we've got very little left. I just wanted to talk quickly about uh, one of the best things that, that comes across in the book is that, and um, it's worth remembering every comedian remembering is that you're on stage to make the most of every single second that you're on stage, from how you approach the stage to how you stand there to the first thing that you say, and to always be present in the moment and not to switch off. Because it's hard, isn't it? It's hard sometimes. If you're doing like 20, 30-minute set or even 40-minute set, at some point you might just let your eye off the ball. Or and it's a very important, as you say, they've paid money to come out to be entertained. When you feel like, oh, I don't feel like going on stage, you go, there's someone in the audience who's never been to comedy before who could have their life changed watching it. And I don't mean life changed as in they're a happier person as a result. They'll go to comedy again and again because they got the bug that night and if you could be the person that gave them that bug you owe it to them to do the best gig you can but you know people party with money to listen to you speak you think of the collective amount of money that's spent and that's not just the tickets that's the babysitters that's the train fare right a lot of money's been parted with to hear you speak um so you actually made two points uh that uh, uh, um merging with each other and and i want to put them separately one is treat every single moment you're on stage as a moment you can be entertaining Every like a setup, little nice turn of phrase in a setup, yeah. and the other the other one is be present when you deliver it, right? Then they're, they're two they're two points, right? Because yeah. you can make every moment funny but not be present, and you can be present and not everything's funny. So wouldn't it be wonderful to think that you're saying everything fresh and everything's good? Yeah. Hmm. That's the trick, isn't it, really? That is basically Absolutely. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had three things that comics do that you could remove from the comedy circuit, three little tricks that things that comics do during their sets that you that annoy you. Oh god, that's a really good question. I would say reminding the audience at the end of a story that you've told that story the night before. Oh. Yeah. I, I see no benefit from that. Um, I refer to things as jokes in a nerdy way, talking about what I'm doing, but I would never refer to a line in a story as a joke or a rant as a joke. And that's that, that thanks to Simon Munnery 20 years ago, who yeah. said, you're pushing them away. You know, I have to, someone said a lovely story. My mum came in and she, and she turned me to this and I did this. And you go, you know what I like about that joke? It's not a joke. Mm. That's a sentence in a story. It's not a joke. It's a joke to you because you wrote it. It's a sentence in a story. And... When you finish that story, and so I told that story in Birmingham over there, someone said this. Now, not only is the sentence in the story a joke, the whole story is material. Yes, they know it's material. Just don't remind them. I slept with a girl once, and she said to me and whispered in my ear, this is my ex-boyfriend's favourite position. She actually <laughs> said that. <laughs> and the third one, I think when an audience are being told... They're not a good audience rather than the comedian doing something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. 
Oh, my heart always sinks, by the way, if, if, if anybody refers to the fact that it's a small audience, especially the MC and just goes... They're the ones, they're the ones who turned up, aren't they? They're the yeah, ones yeah. who came... They're the ones that made the bloody effort. <laughs> so I, I was at a gig with um, Phil Nickel had done a gig recently. I wasn't there. And there's a mm. big-name comedian, and the big-name comedian referred to the gig as running late and the audience getting tired. And Phil said... All you're doing is you're reminding them that they're tired. Yeah. Yeah. What there's nothing to be gained by telling an audience who might be tired that they're tired. Well, <laughs> surely the reaction would be they all look at their watches and then yawn. I mean, what else could you do with that information? Yeah, talking which, Adam, you say in the book, by the way, that one of the cardinal errors that any comedian can make is to openly look at their watch. And so having my dad- said yeah. yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I've seen the last week's worth of gigs. I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody I've did done it. exactly it. Oh, See, I've I'm done it as well. It. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, Richard Morton does a brilliant thing. He goes, oh, we've, got, we've, got, we've not got much time left. got time for one more song. And he rocks slightly. It's almost like, right, we're running out of time. So it builds anticipation. Right, we better, we better make the most of this time. Wow, and that's brilliant, NLP. Yeah. He's telling yeah. us. That time's running out, and we better. He basically saying this is very valuable, and yeah. it gets you like that. It's brilliant, brilliant. We've not got much time. We've not much much time, so we're going to celebrate that lack of time by making the most of it. That's a positive. Yeah. Woody yeah. Allen wrote the joke about his pocket watch. Towards the end of his set, Woody Allen would pull out a pocket watch. He said, "I got this pocket watch. It makes me look European." Because my grandfather on his deathbed sold me this watch. <laughs> <laughs> So my dad was a jazz pianist, and my dad said he can't stand musicians look at their watches on stage because it lets it makes the audience think they've got someone they'd rather be. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it because I, I catch myself. I'm, I'm really in the moment. I go, oh god, this is flown by. It's like this is another thing about the book. I can remind you of bad habits you you should be getting rid of. I know you've reminded me. To not look at my watch by reading yeah. my book and remind me because I do it. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, Rick Kaiser said to me, "You're going to be under a magnifying glass after this book comes out." You know, I did. I did a, a gig in Holland. I did a. Um, the, the, I did two book masterclasses in Utrecht, and they got me a gig as well. And one of the comedians who's at the masterclass said to me, "You said you wore colourful T-shirts," and I said, "Well, it, you know, it's it's green. You know, it's like." Green's colourful, right? Yeah. So it was almost like this debate almost started as to whether green counts as colourful. But, you know, you've got to practice what you preach, right? We like like an underdog. I remember someone, when I was starting out, I got 20 at a club and they were doing the the 10. They were, you know, they were doing the the guest spot. But they were ready for 20s. They were just doing what I'd done previously. They were doing an open spot with a view to getting paid 20. And they did really well. At the end of his set, he went, anyway, it's just a short set for me tonight. That is ego. That implies other nights I do longer sets, but tonight's okay. a short set. Hmm. Just do a short set. The audience will tell the audience will tell them between 10 and 20. What I'm saying is that at 13, the comet's going, he's overrunning, the audience aren't. That's my point. Yeah. If you're the 10, be the brilliant 10 they go home with. That 10 was better than the other acts. We want yeah. to big up the underdog. We want to go, yeah. I saw this comedian, they should be more famous. We want to, we want to yeah. tell people. So when you're the 10, 
be the best 10. Don't tell them you're only doing 10 because that implies, yeah, I'm, you know, I normally do 20s, but that, here you are. Let's just say worst case scenario, they go, I normally do 20s, but I'm, tonight I'm only doing 10. You bigged yourself up in other gigs. Let them think you. Let them think it's your first fucking gig and you're a genius. Don't. I don't mean lie to them. What I mean is, British audiences, we like to discover people. And American audiences, you know, they go, you see them on Conan, you see them on Tonight Show, you see them on Woo, we're getting a winner, we're getting a winner. You tell us how good you are, Bill Burr. Yeah. You tell us how brilliant your ideas are before you even present them. You know, they love winners. They, they, they want... So apparently Tommy Cooper was seen by some American TV people and they said, we want him on the show, but can you not do those tricks that go wrong? We don't understand why you would do a trick that went wrong. <laughs> the very essence of his act. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. Although you uh, you do point out in the book as well that um, he do, did those tricks that would go wrong and then every so often he'd do one that was brilliant. Yeah. And, Human which struggle. Is, was genius, genius. Yeah. It's, uh, Human struggle. Yeah. And he comes yeah. out on top. Yeah, yeah. but again, yeah. we like losers who win. That that encapsulates British culture. We like yeah. losers who eventually win. We want them to do well. We want Del Boy to be able to rip someone off yeah. and successfully. <laughs> Very true, yeah, yeah. Uh, this sounds like a name drop, but Ben Elton once said to me, <laughs> uh, he puts... But he did say that anybody, any comedians, because there are a few comedians that claim not to have died. He said anyone that said they've never died or had a bad gig is a liar because there's there's always one round the corner, isn't it? No matter how, yeah, yeah. you know, it's true. On, it's true. I said, oh, should we finish on that really upbeat sort of <laughs> Well, no, I, I did, I did, because Chris Walk did an um, early late show at the London store once. Yeah. And he did badly at the early show. When he went back to his hotel... Went, went through it with his writers and came back and had a great one in the Late Show, which yeah. is a consummate professional. But a friend of mine went, um, met him and went, oh, I heard you in London recently. Um, how did it go? He went, well, it always goes well when you're me. And he's thinking, <laughs> not what I heard. That's not what I heard. <laughs> is that a better way to end it, Paul? Is that a better way to end it, Paul? Yeah. That's a better way. That yeah. is a great way to end it. Thank you so much, Alan. That was absolutely fantastic. Really Thank you for having it. me. I'm genuinely, genuinely honoured. Thank you. And buy this book. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> that was Adam Bloom. What a marvellous uh, guest. So uh, now to the wrap up, uh, as we always say, every fortnight, because it's not even weekly, it's fortnightly. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast or YouTube offering, please tell your friends, subscribe, um, like, um, share. I think that's about it. Anything else? I'm thinking about no. getting a mug merchandise again, uh, saying merchandise. You been here last week, and when you put the tea into it, the audience behind it disappears. <laughs> like one of those ink pens with the the, the girl with the yeah. bikini on. Oh, well, I hope that's technologically uh, possible. Uh, um, I don't think so. You see, who knows? I mean, well, someone in China is going to be able to produce that for us. Yeah, for... if you can do that, yeah, send it to us, please. We'd like mm. to see it. Anyway, thanks very much for watching and listening. Yeah, we love we'll you. See, you. see you later. We love you. Bye bye. Did I say bye bye? I can't hate bye bye. Yeah. Why do I say that for? Cheerio. Yeah. Godspeed. They said you should have been here last week. I swear. You should have been here last week. Oh, yeah. You should have been here last week. 
This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.